has already been stated, a lot of new things are taking place. It's a new year, and so with the new year, there's always new excitement. I feel, I feel something here. I don't know if I'm trapped or just by these, uh, our new signs, our, uh, I guess I feel protected, I guess, from, from two sides here. If you can't see me, that's okay. You don't have to. Uh, but, you know, new year, new things, new bulletin. And when that happens, there's all, there is a, a sense of excitement, isn't there? Uh, you know, you get a new TV and you're excited for a week or so. Oh, look at it. <laughs> I didn't mean, all right. It's all right. a good point, though. All right. all right. Adjustments are being made. All right. Some of you appreciated that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you get something new. Uh, new clothes, you, you feel fresh, you feel new, uh, you, uh, you know, what, whatever it might be. And so we get excited with our newness, and then after a while that newness fades, and, and these signs will just kind of blend into the scenery, and, you know, the bulletin be like your old bulletin. You'll just, it'll be, you know, old. But, you know, we, we sit here, we come in, we we get excited about some things. We start setting goals. Uh, this new year, maybe some of you have made some uh, New Year's resolutions. I, I saw one post that said on the January the 2nd, I've already messed up my New Year's resolution. I'm putting them off until 2020. And so, you know, some of us are like that. We start something new and we mess up right away. Uh, many give up on resolutions even from making them. After a few years, you know, you've sat there and wrote them down for a long time and then you just... You know, I just can't do it. So uh, here's a couple that you might want to try uh, that you, you probably can do. Uh, for some of you, uh, watch more TV. Read less. Gain some weight. All right? That's, a, that's an easy one. Uh, stop exercising. Procrastinate more. You know, you know you, it's just your goals. You know, what are your goals? And so, you know, we struggle with that, making that new start. One man said this, a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. <laughs> I had to put it up there for, because some of you didn't hear it. But that's true. It comes into one year and it goes out the other, and that's about it. But more on the positive side, G.K. Chesterton said, the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul. And that's, you know, where the freshness of beginning again is, is always a good thing. Uh, another author said, uh, we will open the book, its pages are blank, we're going to put words on them ourselves. The book is called Opportunity, and the first chapter is New Year's Day. And so we have that new beginning. And the great thing about Christianity is the Bible is filled with newness and filled with new beginnings. I mean, the first words in the Bible, in the beginning, you know, just starts about Hey, here's, here's how things started. And all through the scriptures, we hear about the newness that we have in Christ. You are a new person in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 is one of my favorite passages where it says, if, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And that was kind of referred to in our class this morning in some of the discussion is this newness that we have where we were old and now we're new. And the promise was in Ezekiel chapter 36 where he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Oh, that's great. Newness. 
If I can make resolutions for this family, for this church, you know, we sit there and think about my personal one and what are we going to do as a congregation. Uh, I I wouldn't, I guess if I were to do that and change one thing, and I have here change one thing, but then I listed three. I know some of you are going to catch that right away. If I could change one thing, it's not a new dedication to our assemblies, our Wednesday night or our, our assemblies, our Sunday assemblies. I would wish for or want a mature heart in Christ. If I were to change something else, it's not that you would attend a life talk, that you decide this year that you're going to attend a life talk. If I could choose, I would say, I want you to be the person you are meant to be in Christ. And it wouldn't even be a want or a wish for you to reach out to others. If that was one of the New Year's resolutions that we could make to be more evangelistic and reach out to others, I would say I would want you just to have a more compassionate heart. Because that's where we need to be centered is not in the outward things that we do, which will come. These will come, but it's the focus of our heart and how, how we think, what we do. We need to be a congregation that is Christ-focused in our daily lives. And it spills over into every facet of your life. I was thinking today, January, I, I began preaching here in January of 2006. I came here in 1987 and left and was uh, sent by the church here to uh, Fiji in 1992. So I've been here 30-something years, on and off. But I began preaching here in 2006. Man, this is the 14th year. And I started thinking, as I look out on this congregation, there's some people weren't even born when I began. And some people have gone through growing up years. And I was their preacher. I hope it's a good thing for you. But I know some of you have gone off to college and come back. And it's just, it's amazing how time has gone. And I, I hope that if there is a message that you have received from me in the last 14 years, 13 years, a little over 13 years, I hope that it is the necessity for you to focus your life in Christ. That's where it is. And it's not so much the things you do. The things you do are great and wonderful, and we should do things. But if they're not coming out of a Christ-focused heart, they're just things. They're just things that you're doing. And they could be good things, and they could be helping others. But if they're not from a Christ-centered life, you're going to miss life. You're going to live in a way that you're not supposed to be, that you're not designed to live. And so this year, the elders have been working closely with others to lead this congregation, as Chip and Richard have said today, on this journey. We're, gonna, we're, we're entitling it a journey. And life is a journey. We're going down this journey, and, and if you missed it, it's in the bulletin, and it's up here, it's outward, and well, upward, outward, inward, forward. And those things are not clear right now. Well, what does that mean? You probably have an idea. But they're not clear, but they will be made clear as we go through this uh, journey together. 
But we need to, you know, as we begin this year, this new year together, and we think about this new journey and what does it mean to go upward and we're doing this together and it's all wonderful and all good things. I want us to start out by thinking of how outsiders look at us. Outsiders looking in. And I did some reading recently. There was a, and it's a couple of years, a few years old, but there was a study, a uh, Barner study, and I, I always question all the percentages and everything of all these polls, but it's interesting to hear what, what they say. But there's one study that said unchurched Americans, 82% of unchurched Americans have visited a Christian church at one time in their life. I had an atheist friend. He's dead now. And he grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. Was born here, raised here. And he never went to any church. And I asked him about it. His name was Tom. He said, I thought most people were like me. Didn't believe in God. He said, it wasn't until I was an adult that I, was, that I found out, because he was raised in an atheist home. He said, I didn't, I, that I found out that most people aren't like me. And I said, did no one ever, he went to Grissom, went to Grissom. I said, did no one ever invite you to a youth group or a Bible study or a church? And he said, no, never. Now, his memory might have been, you know, someone might have invited him, Okay. But in his memory, his life, going through Grissom High School, no one had ever said, hey, Tom, we have a youth group. We have a, we're having a whatever, you know, this fun thing we're doing together. You want to come with us? And I found that amazing because we just kind of assume here in Huntsville that everyone knows and everyone just kind of, you know, has opportunity. And people do have opportunity, but just that inviting someone and saying, hey, would you like to... Come with me. 82% had, have gone. That means about 18% have, have not. And they haven't connected with churches. And so they, that means they've come, they've examined, and they've left dissatisfied. And that may be true of us to a certain dis, uh, extent. And this dissatisfaction from the study has to do with superficial presentations of the gospel, just kind of a superficial, hey, uh, you know, you're lost, you need to be saved by Jesus. That's, that is a good message. We, we talked about that a little bit in Bible class. But they don't see how that affects their daily life. Because that's what's really important is how I'm living my life now. If me being saved, what does that have to do with, with tomorrow? What does that have to do with this a- afternoon? And so satisfaction comes, and this is the true gospel, comes with the new life that you're given. Because when you're giving a, given a new life, you're given a new way of living. You're given a new lifestyle. It's not just you're a sinner and you need to be saved and then we just kind of sit around until God comes again. We're, we're a sinner and we're saved, but it, we're saved to something. We're saved to do something. We're saved to live this new life, this new life in Christ. And a new lifestyle means a new way of walking through life. It means a new way of looking at life. We look at life differently. And until we learn how to take that salvation that we've been blessed with, and we, use, and we live that 
saved life, viewing the world and looking at the world in certain ways and living out that life, we're just, our, our lives are not going to be effective to other people. I think the Barna study also said there are eight components that changes a person's worldview into a Christian worldview. And here they are on the screen. A Christian, non-Christians do not think this way. Christians, this is the Christian worldview. That they believe, we believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. And that he is the son of God. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He still rules the world. That salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned. That Satan is real. That I'm compelled to, uh, to share my faith with others. That the Bible is accurate. That moral truth exists. And we find that moral truth defined in the Bible. And yet, many professing Christians look at that and to a certain degree, they say, well, I'm not really sure about that one, or I'm not sure about this one. It's an amazing fact that those between the age of 18 and 41, 65% of those who claim to be Christians said they made, or 65% of these people made, said that I made a commitment to Christ. 29% said they're absolutely committed to that faith. But only three had this worldview, 3%. 3% of those 18 to 41 said, yeah, I believe in all those. Most who said, I've committed my life to Christ and I'm serious about it, weren't sure about some of these. When you got those over 41, it fared a little bit better. 73% said they made a commitment. 48% said, 48 said they're committed, absolutely committed to Christ. But only 9% said, this is my worldview. That, that would define my worldview. And so we struggle with this superficial faith. It's shallow. It's weak. It doesn't change me. It doesn't change others. It doesn't impress others. People look at my life and they're not impressed by the change that has taken place in my life. And so we as a congregation want to change that. We as individuals want to change that where our faith goes from this superficial, if your faith is superficial to something that's more dynamic. I walk in this world. If I walk in this world like the world, if I talk like the world, if I spend my money like the world spends, if I hold grudges like the world holds grudges, if I gossip like the world, if I treat others like the world treats others, what's the difference between me and the world? And the answer is there's not much, except maybe superficially. And I'm not proclaiming that we can do these things, that we can live the perfect life in the sense that we make no mistakes. And I'm not saying that we should be prudish people that are repelling to others. I'm not saying that this, this type of person is a holy Joe or a holy Josephine. We, we don't want to re, repel others, but we, it, our life should be light, as we talked about in First John. Light that shines, and people look at us, and they say, there's something there. And I might not totally agree with it, but there's something there that I, I like and that's attractive to me. 
What I am saying is these eight components and their implications will guide us to have true trans uh, transformation in our life. We need to transform our lives. And my work is largely in helping people, helping Christians, really, helping Christians to see this transformation, to look at this and say, you know, th this is areas I need to grow in. And, and the greatest thing about that ministry is that it, I realize and feel the conviction in myself first. When I preach, if you ever say, well, whatever I say, well, you should practice what you preach. I know you're not that way. You're absolutely right. Because when I look at these things I, I, in, in my life, I think there's things that need to continually change in my life too. So I don't stand up here saying, look, I've done it all. I'm, I'm, I'm perfect, and you should follow me because I'm great. But I'm looking at, I'm a fellow struggler with you. As I look at the scriptures and I'm convicted by what the scripture says, I try to make those changes first in my life before I call you to a transformed life. So when I call you to a transformed life, it's y'all, all of all. all of, how, what's, it? what's the word? All of us together. Now, y'all is just y'all. There's a Fijian word that includes us all. And so I want, it's we all. There you go. But we all are doing this. God calls us not so much to a change of behavior, but he calls us to transformation. We can be outwardly changed, but not inwardly transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's this transformation that takes place. How do you do that? How do we transform our lives? How do we renew our minds? He says, by the renewal of our minds. How do we do that? Let me give you some ways. Connection to God through prayer and Bible study that affects both your mind and your emotions. I know sometimes we, we set goals at the beginning of the year to read through the Bible in a year. I've done this before where I'm saying I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And, you know, I, I divide it out. I know how many pages I need to read, and I start doing that. And guess what happens about the third or fourth day? I either get sick or, or a grandchild gets sick or I'm distracted uh, and I get behind in my reading. And I get behind a little bit more the next day and then I realize, look, I, I've got to do some reading if, if I'm going to reach my goal. And have you ever read this way where you just read and at the end of your reading you have no idea what you read? I've done that. I've read through the Bible because I knew I had to get to page 14 or whatever it was. And I got there and I thought, I have no clue what I've just read. And I'm thinking, that's not the kind of transformation. That, that, that's setting an outward goal so I can achieve something outwardly and say, I've done this. Instead of, as I've said before, I would rather you read one verse and think about it all day long. That changes your emotions, it changes your thinking, it changes your, it renews your mind. I'd rather you do that than read a whole chapter or a whole book. Just even concentrate on one phrase in the scripture. Another thing to help us transform our lives, renew our minds, spiritual friendship with fellow believers. That's why you're here, one of the reasons you're here today. Pursuing your faith with a church family, and that's what we're trying to lead us in this year, is, is, is pursuing our faith together, the journey together, doing this together. Intentionally finding ways to help you grow spiritually. 
there, some of you do really well at getting on YouTube and listening to certain things. Some of you study in different ways than I would study. Some of you read certain kind of books. Some of you love the, the books that you read and it has questions at the end and you answer the questions. Uh, I hate those. I, I don't know why, but I just, you know, Julie and I have read devotional books together and I just, I just dread the questions at the end. And she's smiling back there. So she stopped making me do it several years ago. She's like, I know these, I, I don't mind talking about it, but it's like, it's so artificial to me. But for you, it might be the most wonderful thing in the world. So just do it. Do what's good for it. Intentionally find ways to help you grow spiritually. And your way may be different than my way. And so find that way. Look for that way. Look for ways of serving others. There's opportunities everywhere. Investing your time and money in spiritual pursuits, having spiritual conversations with outsiders, reaching out to someone. These are ways how, how we transform our, our lives. This is how we renew our minds. And all through this year, we're going to be looking at the different ways that we'll, we'll be doing this. By purposefully practicing these seven items, we'll transform our lives. What impresses others is being genuine based on that transformed lifestyle. The outsiders looking in. When people from the outside look at me, I, I don't necessarily want them to agree with everything or don't expect them to agree with everything that I say and teach. But it's my prayer they will at least say, well, you're a genuine person. You admit it when you do wrong. You're living for your Christ, whoever that is, at least you're genuine in that area. I don't want them to look at my life and say, I hear you say one thing, but I see you live another way. And we all struggle with that. To a degree, we do that. And I, but I want an outsider to look at me and at least say, you know, I would rather them say, I totally disagree with everything you say, but at least you're genuine in your belief. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to give others an excuse to not follow Christ by our lives. We don't want others to look at us and say, so what? You're no different than, than me. Being open about our defeats, being open about our victories, open about our changes, and allowing others to see that change in our lives. The ultimate goal is our transformation to be like Jesus. We're trying to be like him. What counts, Galatians 6, 15 says, is a new creation. Now, you really want to get down to what counts. One of the things he says is a new creation. That's what really counts. Three specific ways we need to transform our lives. Number one, in our thinking. How you think affects the way you live. What do you, and we had, a few years ago, we had a, a series at the beginning of the year about meditation. We looked at meditation through the Psalms, some of the Psalms. And I, I, told, I shared with you that that at that time and I have since then is that all day long you are meditating the word means to murmur we say we talk to ourselves I know you all do you know it's embarrassing when you're caught doing it but you do it all day long you talk to yourself I I've, you know I go home and if Julia's not there I actually talk to myself out loud if you were to walk in on me and you're laughing at me but you do it too or you whisper to yourself. You ever do that? Yeah. You're, mur you're murmuring. You're talking. That's what meditation is. You're telling yourself something. And so if you can just turn off the radio as you drive 
And at the end of your drive, stop and think, what have I been saying to myself? It will give you an insight to your meditation. You know, some of you drive down the road and you think of, and you tell yourself what a failure you are and how many mistakes you've made and if I only had done this and if I had, and that's your meditation about how bad you are and how awful you are and how many mistakes you've made and you're, that's affecting your life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs says. And so we need to think in this biblical way. We need to see the life of Jesus and how it changes our life. It should be changing our thinking, his death. As we look at death, we should see it through the eyes of Jesus and not through our own eyes. As we see crisis and people and relationships, we need to see these ways the way Jesus sees us. We need to change the way we think. Ephesians 4, verse 20 is one of my favorite sections of, of Ephesians it says, we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. And this is in a tense that says we are to continually be made new in the attitude of our minds. I can determine I'm going to think right, and I can read the scripture, and I can think that way. But if I don't determine it every day, if I don't get in the habit of thinking right, I'm going to drift into thinking wrong. And that's what we all do. We drift into thinking wrong. So we need to change the way we think. Who are we in Christ? Who are you in Christ? That's important. We need to change, be transformed in our loving. God is described as love. We're to imitate, as, uh, we're to imitate God. So why, what do I do? Do I do that? Do I love like he loves? The answer shouldn't be, I do this because it makes me feel good or I'm going to profit from this, selfish ambition or whatever. But I'm going to do these things because it's a loving thing to do. And again, in 1 John, we spend a lot of time talking about love. Love is not a feeling. When I say when the way we change and be transformed in our loving, I'm not talking about feelings here. I'm talking about our actions, what we do. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is, and then he gives you some actions to do. Patience and kindness and so on. And so when we do these things, it's not acting out of a feeling. When I say we're, we need to be transformed in our loving, it's in our actions, how we deal with other people. And the key to that, I think, is looking at the life of Jesus. Everything Jesus did was loving. When Jesus called the Pharisees snakes and he rebuked them, he was doing it in love. My problem is I rebuke when I should be kind, and I'm kind when I should rebuke. That's where I struggle. It's like, how do I get it right? And the only way I can get it right is a continuing look at the life of Jesus and learning how he did it. And third, in our listening, what is God saying to you this year? I'm not talking about mystical. I'm not talking about a whisper in the night or anything like that. I'm not talking about a spirit-filled feeling or inclination. But what is God saying to you through his word? Where is God pointing you in your crisis? I think it was Rick Warren that said, we are either entering a crisis, in a crisis, or leaving a crisis. And that's just about right. And, and the smooth times in our lives are those in-between times. We have some smooth water, but we're either we're, we're going to our next crisis right now, or we're in the middle of one, or... And so God speaks to us through those circumstances. 
But he speaks to us not mystically but through his word. He tells us how to handle these situations. And if we don't learn to listen to God, it's not likely we're going to be changing our lives and being transformed into his image. Our priority as a church must be in the development of our spiritual life. And that's what this journey together is all about. We must work on the depth and quality of personal spiritual growth, our relationship with one another in the body of Christ. And that's what we're trying to do this year as we journey together in these directions of upward and inward, outward and forward. Let me read you a passage and then we'll close from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If we can help anyone in a public way, our elders will come up here and assist you as we stand and sing this song. <laughs>